And uh, when you find your place there, you go ahead and stand and we'll read our text this morning. Psalm 107. A little bit of a theme, it seems like the Lord's been giving us. I don't do the whole, I'm preaching on this theme or that theme. As you know, we preach through a book here and just let the Bible guide the way. Let God direct us and guide us as we teach His Word. And I figure He knows what His church needs more than the preacher does. Uh, The preacher can get his wires crossed because he's human. Right? And start preaching on, I know what they need today. And I I try not to do that. I I don't want to... Get in God's way. I don't ever want to hurt people. Um, and, and I'm not. But even if I'm hurt, I don't want to hurt people. If I'm aggravated, I don't want to take my aggravation out on people. I want to just give them what God has for them and just let everything else just be what it is and figure itself out with time. God knows how to take care of you. He knows how to give you what you need when you need it. And there's been a very interesting theme that's showing up here as we go through the Psalms. I want you to know this. I do my very best not to become the preacher that's kind of stuck in a cycle. You understand what I'm saying? In a rut. I try very hard not to get in that kind of groove like, okay, we already know where he's going when I start. I think the best way to do that is just to study the text out, study the passage out, and preach that passage. It's called expository preaching keeps me from getting stuck in my groove, but the Holy Spirit, I believe, kind of has us in a little bit of a groove right now, and that's His groove, so I'm good with it. Psalm 107, look at verse 1, O give thanks unto the Lord, for He is good, for His mercy endureth forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom He hath redeemed from the hand of the enemy." Skip down with me, if you would, please, to verse number 8. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for His goodness and for His wonderful works to the children of men. Skip down to verse 15. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for His goodness and for His wonderful works unto the children of men. Verse 21. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for His goodness and for His wonderful works to the children of men. Verse 31, Oh, that men would praise the Lord for His goodness, for His wonderful works to the children of men. I think if you look at those verses and the repetition there, you don't have to be a preacher to figure out what the topic of this chapter is. I want to preach to you this morning on the wonderful works of God to the children of men. Let's go to the Lord in prayer first, ask Him to bless the preaching. I'm going to pick on Jesse Peck. Would you please pray and ask the Lord to speak to our hearts, brother? Dear Lord, I'm so thankful to be here this morning, and uh, and I'm thankful for how good you are to me, Lord, and uh, I just pray that you'd be lifted up today, Lord, that we could uh, could learn a little bit about you and just uh, how good good you are to us, Uh, just, uh, just a bunch of men, just a bunch of sinners, Lord, and we need you. We pray that you'd uh, strengthen our preacher now to, to teach us, to show us what you have us to learn here today. And we just thank you so much for the opportunity to be here, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Notice in verse number one, it looks like to me he's actually got a little bit of a plea here. He says in verse one, Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good. I think he's saying it in almost like a a, a pleading sense, a begging with them sense, because he says it again in verse 8 and verse 15 and verse 21 and verse 31, as we just read a minute ago, oh, that men would praise the Lord for his wonderful works unto the children of men, for his goodness, excuse me, and and for his wonderful works unto the children of men. He's got a, a desire in his heart to see people praising God. I think that's important because really we do live in a sinful world, right? We do fail and we do mess up, don't we? We do oftentimes get focused so much on all the things that aren't going right, all the problems that we have, all the twists and the turns of life. I I don't know about you, but for me already, and, and I'm not that old yet, but I'm old enough to know that stuff comes up that I didn't see coming, (laughs) And that as I'm journeying through my life, there are twists and turns that happen. And, 
And here's the thing, some of those twists and turns you cannot prepare for and you don't see them coming and they're not your fault. Right? That's just, that's just life. And a lot of times those things aren't good things. They're, they're bad things. There's other things that really get to me as we've talked about recently in the messages. It's when those twists and turns are my own fault. When I mess something up. And as a result of my failure, I realize this thing's a mess and I kind of deserve it to be a mess and it's my own fault that this happened. And so really, in those moments, it can be very hard to actually keep a perspective of God that he's good because as a Bible-believing Christian especially, as somebody that's trying to serve God especially, you realize God's holy and just and right. And so it's like, well, I deserve this and so I don't even expect God to be good to me right now. I deserve what I got coming. I messed it up. No, it's not God's fault. It's my own fault. So how can I even expect God to fix it? Because I deserve what I did. And I deserve the results of what I did. And so it is what it is. And this, here we are. And sometimes what can happen is that it can actually create a bitterness in a Christian. Because the devil likes to jump on your back with the guilt monkey and rub it in your face and get you to stop thinking about God and looking to God in his goodness and his wonderful works to the children of men. Because it's like, yeah, I realize God's good and I realize he has wonderful works, but I messed up. It's not God's fault, it's my fault. You know what the crazy thing about this thing is? God's goodness and God's mercy and God's wonderful works override the fact that I'm a sinner and I'm a mess up. They override the fact that I don't obey Him all the time. They override the fact that I fail and come short of what I ought to be. And I'm telling you this morning, my testimony to you is I fail your pastor. I fail and I come short of what I ought to be. But I'm still this morning thankful that I got a merciful God and a good God and that He has wonderful works to the children of men. My ability to sin and my ability to fail will never outweigh the goodness and the mercy of Almighty God in my life. And I'm thankful for a God like that. Notice in verse number 2, He says, Let the redeemed of the Lord say so whom he hath redeemed out of the hand of the enemy. Folks, you realize that God is good and he's merciful and he has wonderful works to lost people, not just saved people. How many of you remember when you were lost? You aren't anymore, are you? God was good to you back when you were lost and he didn't let you die before you came to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And a whole bunch of you in this room, since I know your testimony, you should be dead already. You should be dead a few times over. I mean a bunch of you. But God's goodness and God's mercy kept you alive in spite of the fact that your foolishness put you in situations that should have ended your life. God kept you alive long enough to give you a clear presentation of the gospel and to convict your heart by His Spirit because He is good and He's merciful and He has wonderful works unto the children of men. God's good to lost people. But man, it's the redeemed of the Lord in verse number 2, that ought to really be able to praise Him. Oh, that men would praise the Lord. You realize lost people don't know how good God's being to them? Even when they say it, lost people can say it. Religious lost people can profess God and profess that God's been good. And Oh, thank God for His blessings. It isn't God great. And well, just all in the hands of God and all this stuff. But they don't really get it down deep in the soul. But man, when you've been redeemed of the Lord, when you've been born again by the blood of Jesus Christ, when you know that you're saved and on your way to heaven, nobody in this planet ought to be able to outpraise God more than you. The wonderful works of God to the redeemed of the Lord, you ought to say so ain't no excuses here for I have a backwards personality now I'm not saying that every person needs to become the world's greatest evangelist I'm saying that every person whether you have a backward personality or not whether you're an introvert or not whether you're good at communication or not if you've been born again by the blood of Jesus Christ if you know what it means to be saved if you understand the guilt of sin being taken off your back and the mercy of God showing up if you know who Jesus is if he saved your soul from hell if he lives in your heart you ought to at least be able to come into church and sing praise to the name of Jesus Christ and say amen and church service and you ought to at least be able to tell somebody at work how good God's been to you let the redeemed of the Lord say so 
whom he hath redeemed from the hand of the enemy. Go to Colossians chapter 1, please. Keep your finger here in Psalms because we're coming right back in a minute. Colossians chapter 1. It seems to me like when I was younger, it was the judgment and the harshness of God that got me straight, kept me straight, scared me back straight, all that kind of stuff. When I say straight, I mean right with God. I don't mean straight versus homo. You understand that, right? I got to be careful nowadays. All right, just so you understand that. There's never a bone of that in my body. You got that, okay? I'm talking about being right with God. It was fear. It was judgment. But the longer I served the Lord, the more His goodness, the more His mercy, the more His love seems to be weighing in on why I want to do right, why I don't want to quit. Because, man, He's been so good to me. Colossians chapter 1, if you would, look at verse 9. For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you. I prayed for you this morning. We have a couple of first-time visitors. I prayed for you in general that God would send us some visitors so you were in there. I didn't know your name, but God did. But the rest of you, I'm looking around the room. The rest of you, every one of you I prayed for this morning. We pray for you. What are we praying for you for? And to desire that ye would be filled with the knowledge of His will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. That ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing. I want your daily life to match what you are this morning. We're all a work in progress. Relax. Breathe in your nose, out your mouth. Relax. Right? This isn't something that I'm saying, I want to see everybody doing right today. I'm saying that the point of being here is that as you continue to come with time, which we'll get into in a minute, your life can become more and more pleasing unto the Lord Jesus Christ. No matter where you're at in that process. And it is a process in your life. Being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Strengthened with all might according to His glorious power and unto all patience and long-suffering with bitterness. No. Look at that. Having the strength of God through the knowledge of Jesus Christ, through wisdom and spiritual understanding, so that you can be patient and long-suffering. That means you're suffering for a long time. With joyfulness. Man, you mean, you, you mean that when things get rough, I actually have joy in my soul in spite of the fact that everything's rough. That's a work of God. That's not a personality type. That's not a glass half full. That's not a, well, I'm an optimist. That's a miracle from God. Giving thanks unto the Father, which has made us to be meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. Now watch this. Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness. That's a dark world you're living in. And translated, hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. In whom we have redemption. See it? Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. uh, Revelation 4.11, I believe it is, for thy pleasure we are and were created. You know what God's will is for your life? Make Jesus happy. It's that simple. Verse 17, and he is before all things. By him, all things consist. He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. Back to Psalm 107. 
You know who's supposed to have the preeminence in the church? It's really simple, folks. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure it out. It doesn't take some kind of a church seminar and church building to figure it out. It doesn't take polls sent out to the community and little vote cards passed out to the members of the church to tell us what we need to offer that we don't offer. Church is supposed to be about the Lord Jesus Christ from start to finish. It's supposed to be about praising His name and lifting Him up. It's supposed to be about God. It's supposed to be led and directed by the Holy Spirit of God. It's very simple what church is about. I don't get it when people don't get it. I understand at first not getting it, but after a little while, you ought to get it. You ought to understand that church is not all about an individual. You ought to understand that church is not about whether or not the pastor shook your hand or said hi to you or whether or not you're recognized or notified. I, it, it blows my mind. I've told you before, I'm going to tell you again because it bears repeating. I have had first-time visitors walk into the church, never been here before, never met me before, and tell me face-to-face, God sent me here because I have a gift in music and he told me to come here because I'm here to bless you. I'm here to bless your church. That sounds great. Sit down. I'll let you know in five years if we need you. If God sent you, you'll wait till God enables you. If God called you here for that reason, you'll sit down and you'll wait. It ain't about you. It ain't about diatrophies that seeks to have the preeminence. The preeminence is on the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't need somebody's gifts and talents. We need more about Jesus, what I know, more of his grace to others show. We don't need some kind of showboat in church. We need Jesus to be the center of the attention and the focus to be on Jesus Christ. And if it is, he'll grow the church. And when he grows the church, he'll put people in place. And as he puts people in place, it'll be made obvious. And people will minister Jesus Christ to other people. It's just got to grow. You just got to leave it alone. And it's going to grow right if we're reaching toward the light. And the light of the world is Jesus. We need to praise him and recognize he's a wonderful God. And he's got wonderful works to his children, to the redeemed of the Lord. In verse 3 he says he gathered them out of the lands from the east, from the west, from the north, and from the south. Well, Israel had been scattered. You know that. And God's going to gather her and already has started. And it's going to continue to do that work. But the spiritual application to you and I is, weren't you a mess? Yes, weren't you all over the place before you were saved? Yes, weren't you, wasn't your life scattered? Yes, you know what the Lord does? He brings things into focus. He gives you a foundation. He gives you stability. He gathers His people. You know what's nice about church? We're all coming from different directions, but we're gathered together in one place. You know, we're just as much the church tomorrow when we're spread out all over the place as we are this morning. But it's awful nice when we gather together and the Lord shows up. Now look at his wonderful works. The first thing that I want you to see about the wonderful works of God is that he satisfies the soul. In verse number four, they wandered in the wilderness in a solitary way. They found no city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted in them. Verse number 9, for he satisfieth the longing soul and filleth the hungry soul with goodness. I think one of the greatest works about the Lord is his ability to satisfy. Man, I appreciate a Savior that really is the be-all, end-all of everything. Not trying to oversimplify your life. I realize life gets tough and it gets confusing and all the rest of that stuff. But listen, I am telling you, the real answer, the be-all, end-all of your life is the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the answer for everything. Like Lester Roloff used to say, Christ is the answer. And that really does sum it all up. Listen, the answer for your emotional problems is Jesus Christ. The answer for your health problems is Jesus Christ. No, I'm not charismatic or Pentecostal. No, I'm not going to lay my hands on you and heal you. I'll pray for you and then I'll tell you, go to the doctor, stupid. Amen. But the answer for your health problems is Jesus Christ because if that body gives out, which it's going to eventually, if you're born again, he's going to give you a glorified body. He's going to take you to heaven. The answer to that issue is Jesus. You got the Lord. You got everything. If you got a healthy body and live to be 105 years old, healthy with a sound mind, independent and happy. What good does that do if you die and spend eternity in the lake of fire? The answer to your marriage problems is Jesus Christ. I didn't say if you have Jesus Christ, you'll never get divorced. I said the answer is Christ. 
The answer to all your heartbreak and all your stress and all your problems is Jesus Christ. In verse number 4, they wandered in the wilderness in a solitary place. They found no city to dwell in. They were alone. Do you know what the Lord does when you're alone? He says, I'll never leave thee nor forsake thee. He shows up in a solitary place. Jesus Christ is the answer to your loneliness. What a wonderful God. I've watched people go through bereavement. I've literally watched it destroy some people. Destroy them. I've watched people grieve 20 years later as though it happened yesterday. That's, folks, do you realize death faces every single one of us sooner or later? You know why? It's appointed on a man wants to die. That doesn't just mean you. That means people you love. I'm sorry to say that. That means people you feel like you can't live without. Boy, I'm telling you, man, you've got to have Jesus Christ in this life because I can't imagine walking through the valley of the shadow of death not knowing that I'm going to see my loved one again, not knowing that there's a God there to take me through it, not knowing that Jesus would show up and sit down next to me and minister to my heart. I'm glad I've got a God who's a friend and satisfies the soul. I think the problem with a lot of Christians is they don't spend any time nurturing that relationship with Jesus Christ when they don't need him. Mm. So when they do need him, they're calling on a friend they don't really know. Yeah. How does God talk to you? Through the word, through the Bible. I understand all the, all the proper answers that have to be there, right? You don't, you don't sidestep the word of God and sidestep a prayer life to say, well, this is just the way God deals with me. But have you built on that at all? Have you figured out how God deals with you? How God speaks to you? You. We're all a little bit different. Yes, through the Bible. Yes, through sound doctrine. Yes, through prayer. Yes, through preaching. But I'm talking about a personal relationship where you get so familiar with God, you get to know Him so well that you understand, last time I felt this way and ignored it, it messed up. Last time I saw this circumstance and situation and didn't do it, I did wrong and I missed it. Do you understand what I'm talking about? I'm talking about developing a personal relationship with Almighty God. He satisfies the soul. You know the Lord does not care about how good looking you are. That means nothing to God. Ladies, when you get on the scale, whatever it says, maybe you just don't get on the scale because you don't want to know. God still knows. (laughs) And he doesn't care. You may be the one everybody makes fun of at school, kids. God could care less how popular you are. God could care less if you're brilliant beyond imagination or if you're a little bit below or a lot below average. (laughs) Do you know God can take somebody a lot below average in their intellect and give them wisdom? I would rather have a truckload of wisdom than a high intellect. I think, I think with my life, I'll get a lot more done and help a lot more people and be a lot more valuable if God will dispense some wisdom to me than I will if I have a high intellect. Yeah. I don't care. If I'm a dummy, I'm a dummy. So what? Do I know Jesus? Amen. He satisfies the longing soul. And folks, he's a friend of sinners. He's a friend. He's somebody that shows up in good friendship. What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. He shows up when you're in a solitary place. Look back at Psalm chapter 50. I want you to see something about God. That's a wonderful work that he be a friend to a sinful man like me, to a sinful woman like you. Psalm chapter 50. It's a great verse. He says, If I were hungry, I would not tell thee. For the world is mine and the fullness thereof. 
God said, if I needed something like a bite to eat, I wouldn't tell you. Why? I own the world. And that God that owns everything there is wants to satisfy your soul. He wants to be your friend. He wants to walk next to you. He wants to sit next to you at the funeral home or sit next to you in the hospital room. And he wants to be there when the baby is born and show up in the room and and pat your back and rejoice with you. He wants to speak to your heart and bless you in the good times. And he wants to minister to you and help you in the bad because he's a great God. He satisfies the soul. Back to Psalm 107. So the Lord could care less about your status or about how you view yourself. The Lord could care less if you like your personality or don't, or if other people like your personality or don't. The Lord could care less about your nationality or your gender. None of that stuff means anything to God. Can I say this? If you got a heart for Him, He'll be a friend to you. Do you have a heart for God? That's the qualification this morning. A heart for Him. Do you want Him? Do you want that companionship? Do you want that friendship? Then He'll give it. Can I say that I think that should be an example to us as a church of what we should be? I hate church cliques. That doesn't mean, that doesn't mean, listen, that doesn't mean if you're in the youth group, you shouldn't be friends with the kids in the youth group. Or if you're in your 20s, you shouldn't have friends that are in their 20s. Or if you're in your 40s or 50s, your friends aren't in their 40s or 50s. Oh, we can't get together, you know, this particular group of people can't get together because we're forming a clique. Preacher's going to be mad at us. That's not what I'm, don't, don't swing so far the other direction that it becomes unrealistic. What I'm saying is, when you walk into churches and there's little groups, little cliques, and somebody else comes in and we're not going to let them in our clique because somebody in the clique, whoever the leader of the clique is, who's the cool kid of the group, or funny, funny, as you get older, it's not the cool, talented kid, the best athlete, the best musician, the most beautiful, with the best clothes because their parents happen to be rich. I said because their parents happen to have some money. You're not cool because your mom and dad have the money to buy you nice clothes. You're just blessed. But that doesn't make you something until you go do it for yourself. But we strut around like, you know, we're so much better than the other kids because my mom and dad take better care of me because they got more. That'll preach, huh? And no, we're not going to let the dork into the clique. And the cool kid doesn't like that person, so we're not going to accept that person. (sighs) Ain't this supposed to be the Lord's place? Ain't we supposed to be the Lord's people? So if somebody shows up at church that don't have a personality you like or doesn't do things the way you like to do it, then if you can't get along with them, can't you at least just leave them alone? I'm not saying you've got to be best friends with everybody. You're not going to be. That's not possible. But I mean, maybe they need something here that they get here. And so they shouldn't feel bad blood here. It's a mistake to force yourself on somebody as their friend. Hello? Or try to force somebody else. You know, you know what I mean? How to force that relationship. Why would you do that? That's not real. I can't believe they're not nice to me. Well, grow up and get over it. <laughs> but we should say, it's the Lord's house, and anybody that wants God, that's my church family. You leave them alone. Why? Because people need that companionship. They need some help for their soul. They need that. There's no expectations here but Jesus. If you got a heart for God, then this is the place for you. If you'll stand with us in our doctrine, then this is the place for you. If it's all about the book of God, then this is the place for you. I don't care about none of the rest of that stuff. Now let me say something. I'm going to say this because it needs to be said, but then let me spell it out. I don't care how much money you got. Or don't have. Now, it's a real blessing when people have it and they're faithful to God with it. That's why we're not stopped because we got a $150,000 bill we didn't see coming and now we got to put a fire suppression system in. By the grace of God, we're still going to break ground this spring. Why? Because some people that had some money gave and keep giving. Thank God for that. 
You follow God in that, not some pressure from a church or a religious leader. You follow God in it. You show God you love Him and you do what God tells you to do with your money. And I'm thankful for it. I'm telling you from my heart and from God's heart, you can't buy His love or His affection. And you don't buy influence in a church. And you don't buy the right to say something. You do what you do for God. This preacher doesn't care about your money. And I'm not after your money. I want God to get a hold of your heart. I want you to develop a relationship with Jesus Christ and get close to Him. Because, hey, when it's all said and done, that's all that's going to matter. Amen. He satisfies the longing soul. And he brings food to people that want to be fed. Verse 5, hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted in them. Verse 9, for he satisfieth the longing soul and filleth the hungry soul with goodness. Now, now look back last week, we saw this passage. Back at 106. <clears throat> it says in verse number 15, he gave them their request, but sent leanness unto their soul. What was that? Well, they were lusting in the wilderness and they were mad because they had to eat the same old man all over again. And so God said, fine, I'll send you some meat. I'll, I'll give you the physical stuff that you want so bad, but I ain't talking to you anymore. I ain't feeding you anymore. I ain't giving you nothing. I'm done with you. So here, have all your stuff. Anybody looked around at the United States of America? I thank God for recessions. I'm sorry if it's hurting you. I'm sorry about that. But I thank God for them. We started this church in January of 2008 in the middle of the Great Recession. The worst financial deal, I believe, since the Great Depression in this country. That's when we planted this church. You know what? People started coming, boy. You know why? They were like, well, what about our money? What about politics? What about... <gasps> Shortly after I started the church, man, I had somebody blowing me up on face plant or whatever that thing is back in the day when I was on it. Blowing me up on it. Born again Christian. How dare you say it doesn't matter if we vote. It's people like you that are the problem with this country and why this country is going the direction. You ain't never read your Bible. Lucifer gives the kingdoms of this world to who he wants. Oh, Trump. Okay, great. How did that work out for us? Great for four years. Now what? I'm telling you, folks, it ain't all about your money. It ain't all about your retirement. It ain't all about your financial future. I'd rather be poor and have the power of God in my life than all the money in the world and no walk with Jesus Christ. Because your money going to do you. I'm sorry if I'm offending you, but I'm not sorry. I'm saying I'm sorry to be a gentleman and all that kind of thing, but I'm not sorry. You get that stuff in focus. The most important thing in the world is your walk with Jesus Christ. It's the fact that he feeds the hungry soul, that he meets your emotional, your spiritual needs, that walking with him and having his friendship is more important than anything else in the world you could ever imagine. So go ahead, do what you're going to do. Go where you're going to go. Make your decisions based on your job. You know how hard it is nowadays to find a church that preaches the Bible? I'm not saying we're the only one or I'm the only one or I'm the only... That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying you better consider the soul. You better consider the satisfying of a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You better consider what really matters because even if you make decisions to, quote, better your family, unquote, but the Lord ain't in it, you're not better in your family. Gentlemen, that great raise that you got and the much better position you got, that's not really going to mean that much when you're paying alimony and child support. You need God in your family. You need God in your home. You need your children to get a hold of God and God to get a hold of your children. You need your wife to be able to walk with God and be fed the word of God. The satisfying of the soul does not come from a job. It does not come from the world. It comes from Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ only. And I'm telling you, that's the most important thing in the world. And it is a wonderful work of God that Jesus Christ shows up as a friend that sticks closer than a brother. That Jesus Christ shows up and gives us food when our soul is hungry. I want you to see a second wonderful work of God. This one I, I can't get over. Look at verse 20. He sent his word. Verse, Psalm 107, 20. He sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destructions. You know what a wonderful work of God is? 
sending of the scriptures. You guys, I really, if there's anything I want you all to get a hold of, it is how wonderful this book is. The Lord gave the word. Great was the company that published it. You know what all these religious leaders nowadays try to say and do and pull your attention to? Well, it's translated. It's copied. It's copies of copies. And the original's this and that. Well, we can't be sure. I'm telling you, that's the biggest bill of goods they ever tried to sell people. None of them that talk about the originals have ever seen an original. They're lying. They're lying through their teeth. And the originals that they do read or the original languages they read are copies of copies of copies of copies. So they have their faith in that thing the exact same way you have your faith in the King James Bible. The exact same way. You got to realize that God gave the word of God and that he promised he'd preserve it. And you got in front of you today the words of Almighty God. Every word of God is pure. You can trust this book with your eternal soul. What a blessing that God sends the scriptures. I mean, that Almighty God would care enough about us to give us his perfect words. Man, I would not even go to church. You, the pastor. I would not even go to church if I did not believe I had the perfect words of God in front of me. That I'm holding the perfect words of God in my hand right now. If I didn't believe that. Because outside of that, it's all based on emotions and feelings. And I'm way too much a different kind of guy. Just put it that way. I don't trust my own feelings and emotions. I, I, have a, I have an issue with that. I got lots of feelings and lots of emotions, by the way. People don't think I do. I do. But I don't trust them. How could I trust some religious leader? Ain't never seen a biggest, bigger bunch of scam artists in the world. But boy, you get a Bible-believing preacher that loves this book and believes this book, you got something real. And what he's supposed to do is he's supposed to strengthen your faith in this book and show you the wonderful works of God when he put together his words and put them in a book and gave them to you. He sent the scriptures. He sent his word. And boy, it helps us. Look at verse 19. Then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them out of their distresses. You know what the Bible does? It helps us. Now, now, I said in my introduction, it's one thing when it's not my fault. Man, you're going through a hard time in your life. You need to learn to open up the book. I'm having a hard time not going down there. I'm trying to stay back so I don't, I don't think I'm contagious, but in case I am. You know, I don't want you all freaking out while I'm spitting on you. <laughs> when you're going through a hard time in your life and it's not your fault, there is nothing like opening up this book. I'm telling you. I'm telling you, man. You got you to get in it and you got to stay in it. You got to keep going through the dry times and the boring times. Yes, I just said that. The dry and boring times. Because parts of the Bible are dry and boring. And parts of the Bible are, well, I don't really understand. I didn't get nothing out of it. You got to keep developing and nurturing that relationship. Why? Because I am telling you, this thing will come alive from time to time. And boy, the more you grow, the more it comes alive. And it'll minister to you when you're in a mess. When it ain't your fault. I can't even start testifying how many times this Bible has comforted my soul. I have sat down, literally, literally. I don't think I'm a weirdo. I know I'm strange for this, what the world thinks of me. But I don't think I'm unbalanced. I know you probably think I am, but... Had a psychiatrist once, but he lost his mind in the middle of the meeting, so that was that. I'm just kidding. I never had a psychiatrist. It's a joke. But I sit down and open up this Bible sometimes when I'm just not sure what's wrong, but I'm troubled. And literally, I feel like, like, I, like somebody took a weight off me, just opening it up and just starting to read. That, thing's a lot, that book is alive, and it will help you. Your, your Facebook is not going to help you. Your Instagram is not going to help you. This news media, I don't care if it is Roman Catholic, conservative, Fox News. Oh, yeah. I said Roman Catholic, conservative, Fox News. I don't care if it is. 
all that stuff, all this world will drag you down, worry you, stress you, and concern you, and never satisfy you. But you open up this book and you start looking for the Lord in it. He's the one who satisfies the soul and sent his word. And you open up this book knowing that this is God's book and saying, God, I need you. And this Bible helps you. But see, it doesn't just help you when it's not your fault. It's just life is rough. Because in verse 19, look what he says. Then they cry unto the Lord in their trouble. And he saveth them out of their distresses. What are they in trouble for? Verse 18, their soul abhorred all manner of meat. They drew near unto the gates of death. You know why? They're backslidden. Seriously? Yeah. When you've messed up, and as a result of messing up, you're in a mess, and you open up that book, God shows up and helps you through the Bible even when you're a mess because it's your fault because you messed up. That, to me, is a wonderful work. That a holy God would say, okay, he's finally turning to the right meat. And so since he's turning to the right meat, I'll show up and I'll speak to him and I'll help him out. You folks know my my testimony. I I took a church and I was was 27. She was 22. I was 27 years old in Illinois. I was so on fire for God. I, I just, I wanted to be a preacher so bad, pastor so bad. I just, nothing was going to hold me back. My preacher told me, he said, don't do it. Brother, Brother Lynch said, don't do it. Them, them farmers are going to chew you up and spit you out. He said, wait, just wait. God will put you in the ministry. And I was just on fire, man. I'd sit, instead of listening to a preacher to get fed, if his name wasn't Jim Lynch, I respected him and I would listen to him. But any other preacher, I couldn't get fed from him because he wasn't Brother Lintz. Brother Lintz I respected. He was just had that kind of a gift with young men. He was just an amazing preacher and an amazing man. And I'd listen to him. But I wouldn't listen to anybody else. I'd sit there and listen to other preachers and just criticize them and critique them. And they weren't a tough guy like Brother Lintz and they didn't preach like he preached and I just didn't respect them. So I was was so on fire, even Brother Lentz told me, don't do it, you're making a mistake. And somewhere down deep inside, I knew I was making a mistake. I ignored what the book said, I ignored what my preacher said, and I took the church. And within six months, they did exactly what he said they were going to do. They chewed me up and spit me out. It was terrible. It was terrible. It was so bad, I couldn't move in that church without being in trouble. I got up on Sunday and I said, hey, we haven't done an ice cream social in a while. Let's do an ice cream social next week. <coughs> got called into the office by the deacons. Well, the social committee said they knew nothing about this ice cream social. You were supposed to go through the social committee before you do something like that. That's their job. I mean, I literally, that's ice cream, people. Like, seriously? <laughs> You know what I did? I got myself in a mess that I will never forget. And I figured, well, I did it now. You know, you know what's amazing? When a guy's been in the book and allowed the book to work on him and become part of who he is because it's the Word of God and he starts operating the way God wants him to operate under God's control. My preacher was so mad at me when I went and took that church. He didn't talk to me for three months. I called him when I was in trouble. And you know what? His whole tone of voice changed. Hey, man, how you doing, bud? Here's what's going on. All right, well, you need to get out of there. I promised I wouldn't leave. Should you have made that promise? No. Oh, so two wrongs make a right? I got to keep my word. Yeah, but you gave your word and you shouldn't have given it, should you? No. Now that you know you're out of God's will, if you stay there out of God's will, do two wrongs make a right? It wasn't computing. Man, the wisdom that older guy had, boy. Get in that book. You know what? I came back from Illinois. I moved back from there to Ohio at Hope Baptist Church. And I'll just tell you, I'm not going to get into details, so please don't don't expect me to or ask me to because I won't, not even personally. But I was so backslidden. I was so backslidden because of the mistakes I had made, other things that were going on, not in our life but in our families around us and stuff just everything was nuclear literally everything was nuclear 
and I was beginning to even doubt. I was so backslidden, it was all I could do to even go to church on Sunday morning. I was mad at Anna for, for being alive. So I said, I married her mother, and now I have a baby, and I'm supposed to be a Christian man, and I'm stuck, I have to go to church, because i got to get my family in church. But for some reason, I'd been taught that that book was your lifeline. And every day I still opened up my Bible and read it. And I would sit there in my chair in that little house we rented in a bad part of town in Ohio. And I would say, God, I'm on life support. Spiritually. And then I'd open my Bible and I'd read it. Every day. And I am telling you, when I tell you the Bible is a miraculous book. And you've got to have that book whether you feel like it or not. You got to get the Bible in every single day. You got to get the Bible in. 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 I say that because I've lived it. And without that book, I wouldn't be here today. I will guarantee you my home would be busted up. My children would be a mess. Hey, we ain't perfect, but we got God. And it's a wonderful work to me that he sent that book and that he still uses it to speak to my heart. Even when I'm so far gone, I'm literally in spiritual ICU on life support. That book will support your life. You say, it's all falling apart, preacher. Okay, stay in the book. I don't think we can work it out, preacher. Stay in the book. I don't know how it's going to turn out, preacher. Stay in the book. Because the Bible helps you. Miraculous work of God. He does something in the spirit and soul with it that only we're not going to understand it until we're in our glorified bodies, all that there is to that book. But you've got to understand the importance of that Bible and understand that God sent his word and it's one of his wonderful works. So when you're backslidden, that's not the time for you to throw your Bible down. I don't want to be a hypocrite. Be a hypocrite. But be a hypocrite and keep sticking your nose in the book because there's some hope for you as long as you get that Bible in your soul. That Bible doesn't just help us, it heals us. In verse 20, he sent his word and did what? He healed him. Jeremiah chapter 8 verse 22 says, Is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? Why then is not the health of the daughter of Mayan people recovered? Well, Gilead was a fruitful area that was often used as a place of refuge. And balm is a plant byproduct that was medicinal purposes that helped with fighting off infections and was a painkiller. And he's saying, is there no balm in Gilead? Why isn't the health of the daughters of my people recovered? You know what you need to do? When you're hurting, when you're struggling, you need to stay in church. It's up to you. Nobody can make you listen. I can't make you listen. But listen, you're not always going to feel like coming. You may get offended. You might not like certain things. But as long as you're getting the Bible, you need to stay in church. Ah, preacher, I'm messing up in my personal life. Well, first of all, keep it to yourself. Don't try to spread your sin around the church. Number one. Number two, stay in church. Why? Because this place is supposed to be a place for your healing, for your help. And it comes from the preaching of the Word of God. You've been hurt? You got bitterness? You got things in your past that wounded you you know what this book will do for you if you'll stay in church and if you'll stay in your Bible it'll work on healing you God will help you folks I'm telling you I know I'm a hard preacher and I know I raise my voice and all that stuff but listen to me I'm telling you I want to help you I don't want to hurt you I don't want to beat you up every Sunday I want to help you that book will help you Notice another thing. He stills the storms of our life. Look at verse 23. They that go down to the sea in ships, they that do business in great waters, these see the works of the Lord and His wonders in the deep. 
For he commandeth and raiseth the stormy wind, which lifteth up the waves thereof. They mount up to the heavens, they go down again to the depths. Their soul is melted because of trouble. They reel to and fro and stagger like a drunken man, and are at their wit's end. Then they cry unto the Lord in their trouble, and he bringeth them out of their distress, their stresses. He maketh the storm a calm, so that the waves thereof are still. Then are they glad, because they be quiet. So he bringeth them into their desired haven. You know what the Lord does for us? He settles the storms of our life. You know that, don't you? You know what people get out when the storms are going? It's not the time to get out. I made up my mind years ago when I was working a job and... and in, in, in sales and I said you know what I'm not going to quit a job when I'm on the bottom because I can't be sure I'm making a good move here because I'm so emotional I'm so stressed I'm going to quit when I'm on the top every time I left a company and went to another company I was breaking records I was in the top 10 or whatever I was doing great I knew I was making a good decision don't quit when you're on the bottom that's a time to hunker down and stay put and stay faithful. David said, I'm like a green olive tree in the house of God. You know, olive trees, I'm, I'm going I'm to use it when we get to Romans, uh, Romans 11, I believe it is. You know, olive trees, they last a long time. 500 years on average. They can get struck by lightning. They can have forest fires go through. They can have branches get snapped off by the wind, and they bounce back. You know why? Because they develop a deep root system. Their root system is deep. You can transplant them, but you better not do it very often. You need to get in a Bible-believing church and get your roots down and stay and just be faithful and just let God grow you and grow your family. And when the storms show up and things aren't going real smooth and all the rest of that, stick out those hard times. Because when you uproot the thing, you stun its growth and you put it way behind. Just get in, dig in, stay put, stay in the book, stay in a Bible-believing, Bible-preaching church, and let some stuff go. We need to be a people that aren't easily offended. We need to be a people that let it go. No big deal. Move on. Can I ask you to do me a favor? From the time your kids are in the elementary schools down there, on the elementary classes downstairs, can you teach them to let it go? Can you teach them to forgive it? Because that'll pay off big dividends when they're in youth group. And can you as an adult please not get caught up in teenager garbage? I don't think anybody is right now that I know of, so this isn't personal. This is a perfect time to say it because it ain't personal. I, as far as I know, there's no drama going on right now. Moms and dads, can't you tell your kids to stop? Well, mom and daddy jump on the kid's bandwagon and create this little rivalry going on. That thing starts, that's a demonic thing, man. They don't have to be your best friend. She is rude to me. Okay, let it go. She doesn't want to be my friend. Then make friends with somebody else. Ignore her. So what? Let it go. Why? Because there's something more important here than my feelings. Folks, do you guys see that? There was, I think, 19 or 20 kids up there. And we had a couple that weren't up there. You know how important that is? Man, it's, it's, I'm trying not to cry back there. There's just some, one of the lines in there, thankful for our pastor to lead us or something like that. Man, what a blessing that is. To have young people in church where the Bible's being preached and the way they sit and pay attention and listen to the preaching, it's unbelievable. You don't find that everywhere today. What we got going on here is important. You gotta get your roots down and stay even when you're in a storm. God will still that storm eventually. But if you get out, you mess it up. You still got your storm. You still got your storm. You just don't get to see God do anything with it. You don't get to see his wonderful works come out in the end. Why quit? Where are you going? God set the thing up like this on purpose. He supplies different situations. Look at verse 10. Such as sit in darkness in the shadow of death being bound in affliction and iron because they rebelled against the words of God. Do you see it? And contemn the counsel of the Most High. They said, we don't want what God says. We don't care about godly advice or godly preaching or God's wisdom. 
We know what we want with our life, and we're going to get what we want out of life. I'm going to get what I want out of church. I'm going to get what I want out of my kids. I'm going to get what I want out of my marriage. I'm going to get what I want out of my job. I'm going to get what I want out of everything. No wonder you're in a mess. You know what's great about God? When we do that, because we all do, He lets the problems come. He lets the hunger come. He lets the distress show up. Therefore, verse 12, he brought down their heart with labor. They fell down and there was none to help. God resisteth the proud but giveth grace unto the humble, right? Well, I'm not a proud person. If you won't let God be God and acknowledge the truth of the word of God and submit to the Bible and the preaching of the word of God and your Bible reading, if you won't say, God, you're God and I'm not, and it doesn't matter what I think, what I want, what I do. It matters what you want. Show me what you want because my life is yours to control. Then you are proud. Even if you walk around the humblest person in the room. Pride is resisting what God says. So God humbles the proud. He looks upon everyone that's pride and proud and abases them. Oh, man, I don't want that. I would much rather humble myself under the mighty hand of God because I've been there already before. I've had God knock me down a few stripes. I've seen and know what it feels like to have Almighty God's hand against me. But I know this about God and His wonderful works. One of His wonderful works is when His hand is against me, when He does humble me, when He does let me hit the rock bottom because God always shows up when that happens if I respond right to it. Look at verse 13. Then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them out of their distresses. My word, man, are you kidding me? Do you know what God does for us? He supplies situations. You can go look at it later. It's in verses 33 through 41. It goes back and forth, back and forth. A fruitful land into barrenness and wickedness that dwells therein. And the wilderness turns into standing water. And it's like it's, it takes all this good and he dries it up. And then he takes all this dry bad and he just refreshes it and pours it out. It's like, what in the world, man? God sets all these situations up. Your life is a series of ups and downs. There is good times, there is bad times. There is ups, there is downs, and God knows when I need what. I don't even know. The good thing about God's wonderful works is he can take a desert and he can turn it into a lush, fruitful, beautiful, green, wonderful garden. And he can take a lush, beautiful, green, wonderful garden, which I personally think this church is right now. We've seen God show up. We've seen the church growing and souls getting saved and it's been exciting and it's been wonderful. There's liberty to preach. There's great fellowship. There's a great spirit. Hey, God can take all that we have and turn it into dry barrenness. That scares me. God doesn't want to turn it into dry barrenness. God doesn't want to send grief your way, but God will for the purpose of turning you back to him. And to me, that is a wonderful work. 20 years later, I'm looking back at what I illustration I gave you before about my first church that I ever pastored. And I look back at the dark times. And now 20 years later, I can sit and say, God, thank you so much for all the pain, all the heartbreak, all the disappointment. Because somehow or another, by the power of your word, by the satisfying of your spirit, by sending that book, by stilling the storm, I get to see that you supply the situations in life that I need when I need them. And the last thing I ever want to do is get away from him. Look at the end of the, of the book, end of the chapter, excuse me. Look at verse 42. The righteous shall see it and rejoice and all iniquity shall stop their mouth all I'm running their mouth against God will shut up whoso is wise and will observe these things even they shall understand the loving kindness of the Lord
So the message this morning is that God has wonderful works to the children of men. Wonderful. And all God does is right. And is always right. He's there to satisfy your soul. If your soul is not satisfied this morning, it's your fault, not his. Do you want him like you should? He sent you the scriptures. Are you in him like you should be? He settles the storms. So if you're in one, he's the one that can calm it. And he supplies the situations that you need. In other words, you're his workmanship created in Christ Jesus under good works, which God hath before ordained that you should walk in them. So then work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God that worketh in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. He supplies the bad times to break your will and the good times to enable you to do of his good pleasure. You know what a lot of people do when they backslide? They backslide in the good times, not the bad. So sometimes God sends bad times, not because you did anything wrong, but because you start getting cold on him when everything's going great. He supplies what we need. He's wonderful. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness, for his wonderful works unto the children of men. Stand to our feet this morning with our heads bowed and our eyes closed.